Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. This week in our uh, series, um, When I Met Jesus, uh, we are going Old Testament. We are uh, opening uh, our Bibles and we're going to go all the way back to Genesis for When I Met Jesus. Uh, We are looking at uh, an encounter where I believe that Jesus actually bodily came down and met with someone. Um, and so people are like, what? Uh, yeah, we're going to unpack that a bit and talk about that uh, and look at the time when, when Jesus uh, came down and met someone. But in, in preparing for this, uh, before we get to the to word, I want to ask you to, to think about, uh, get a little bit existential, if that's okay, and, uh, and ask you to answer the question, um, who do you think you are? I don't mean that in terms of like you've walked on the old man's lawn and he's like, who do you think you are? I mean like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Like, how, how do you define yourself? Someone says, oh, tell me about yourself. Like, where do you go? Like, where, how do you start that conversation, that answer? I mean, who do you say that you are? Who do, who do others say that you are? If I, if I was to ask your your family, your friends, maybe, maybe an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, like who, who do you say they are? Who, what would they say? How do, you, how do you choose? How do you choose to craft your identity? Because I think that is kind of what we, we do in our culture, our generation, and I don't know if it's been this way forever, but we're pretty good at crafting identity and, and presenting ourselves. You know, the brands that we select to wear, or the fact that we don't select brands to wear. Perhaps which uh, restaurants we choose to Instagram and, and which takeaway Domino's pizza joints we choose not to Instagram. You know, we craft these stories or personas about ourselves, who we are. Um, sometimes perception and reputation uh, can be an interesting thing. Uh, when I, I, um, she's not in the room, she's next door, so I can tell this story. Uh, when um, I first started dating Chelsea, uh, we, we're just getting to know each other, getting to know each other's families, getting to know, like, every family has quirks and every family has different things going on. And, and she hadn't been uh, around on the scene long and uh, we'd been dating and, and uh, someone in my family was getting married. There was a wedding. And so this was an opportunity. She's going to meet everyone. Uh, brave woman that she is, threw herself in headlong. Uh, there is this particular person in my family, and I know that none of you probably have a, a similar kind of thing, but they're uh, a little eccentric. Um, they make some life choices that other people don't always understand or, or get. And uh, when this person had been talked about, it's always kind of like, oh, you know, oh, they're a bit funny. They're a little bit funny is what uh, the general kind of thing that had been said was. And so uh, this particular family member um, was always just a little bit funny. Uh, and we're at this wedding and... Uh, we are all kind of going from the ceremony to the reception. The ceremony was in, some, in a lovely park and then the reception was somewhere else. And as you do, like saving the environment and whatnot, and we carpooled. And uh, we jump in the car uh, and there, there's three seats taken up in the car and this particular family member is in the car. And me and Chelsea jump in the car and I introduce her uh, to this family member of ours. And uh, she is such a lovely... My wife is lovely. If you ever get the, the pleasure of meeting her, which I hope you do, many of you already have... She's a lovely, good-natured, kind, gentle person, and she always thinks the best of everyone. 
Uh, and so we jump in and I introduce her to this particular family member. Oh, Chelsea, this is so-and-so. She goes like, oh, the funny one. <laughs> the rest of that car trip was pretty quiet. <laughs> we, uh, we get to the venue. We get out of the car kind of awkwardly. We're walking across the car park. I'm like, honey, we don't usually say that to their face. <laughs> she had thought, oh, funny, ha-ha. We meant funny weird. <laughs> Your perception about someone and about their identity, perhaps their reputation, uh, can tell you a lot about someone. Someone's reputation can precede them, for good or for bad. And today we're going to hear about the time that Jacob, one of the patriarchs from the Old Testament, met Jesus. And everything that he thought he knew about himself, everything that he'd been told about himself, got changed. His life got reoriented. God gave him a new name. He got a new identity. He got a new mission. He got a new purpose in life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, as we come and uh, hear this account and story about um, the patriarch Jacob, that Uh, You will come and and challenge us by your Holy Spirit to examine uh, our life and our identity and uh, what we present to the world and and who we are and the things that have been said about us and that you would allow Jesus to radically enter into our stories and reorient us. Uh, Those of us who already know you, Lord, I pray you would remind us um, of the truths that you have spoken over our life and who you say we are and allow uh, this story to remind us to live out of that. Uh, We want to pray that uh, as we preach for this together that uh, you would allow your word to shine forth uh, and the words that are merely mine to fade away. Amen. So, this story, uh, I love, I really love this story. It's kind of like, um, uh, I don't know, like uh, cage fighting meets Bible meets uh, Jesus meets like uh, wrestling with my son and I'm going to get into all of that. But before we actually get to the actual encounter, um, a little bit of background to who this Jacob fella is. So God had called Jacob's grandfather, uh, and many people have heard of Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. Uh, Abraham was Jacob's grandfather, and God had called him uh, out of the people he was born into to become a new people, a new nation. And God had made a covenant promise with his grandfather Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a great nation, a great multitude. If you look up at the stars, as many stars as there are in the sky, that's how many people are going to be from your people. Uh, And so he was going to be a a great father. And then uh, Abraham has a son, uh, Isaac. And then uh, Isaac marries uh, Rebekah. And then uh, they're having a family and giving birth. Uh, and so this is the, uh, the Isaac uh, of whom uh, you may or may not know the story, but he's, his father goes to sacrifice him. And then that doesn't happen. God provides a lamb instead, signaling that Jesus is going to be provided in the future and he will be the lamb. Uh, and we won't have to sacrifice our children. God will sacrifice his child for us. Uh, and then that is uh, Jacob's father. And so Jacob uh, marries Rebecca and, and Jacob's... Um, uh, sorry, Isaac marries Rebekah and, and uh, Jacob and his, his brother are to be born. There's twins on the way. And so Jacob has a brother, uh, Esau. And uh, we're going to pick up uh, this story in Genesis 25, verses from 24. So if you have a Bible, that's great. If not, on the screen um, as well. 
but this is picking up before the birth of Jacob and Esau. Um, here we go. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. So Esau comes out first, he's a ranger, he's very hairy. There we go. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. This is significant. So his name was called Jacob, which literally kind of means like he grasps the heel, he grasps. So Jacob comes out and they're like, you know what, he's grasping his brother's heel, he's the grasper. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field where Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. So pretty much we had Bear grills, and like, then like another dude like me, right? Just, <laughs> I'm in the tent. <laughs> when the boy, <laughs> Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Jacob's a mama's boy. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What a use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So they named their two children are consistent with their identity. Esau, so named because he was red and hairy. Think like orangutan baby. And uh, Jacob named because he came out grasping his brother's heel. Jacob, he grasps. So from his very birth, Jacob had this name, heel grabber. Heel grabber. And there's some cultural context around this name. So basically, this, his name was heel grabber. It's like... Um, it's really weird thing. Like I don't think we do this so much. Um, like you sometimes hear about uh, babies named after virtues or babies named after characteristics, uh, and that's great. But we don't like. Uh, I know that Tom, you'd probably love your son to be like an AFL like superstar, right? But you're not going to name him Brownlow. It's on the table. It's on the table now. <laughs> it's on the table. But you know that that's the kind of thing that was going on here, right? They're naming them after their identity, and so your name says so much more about you. Esau is out hunting his bear grills. Uh, Jacob's the homebody, doesn't particularly love his brother, and uh, his brother comes home from the hunt, obviously wasn't particularly successful, doesn't have much with him, and Jacob uses this opportunity to manipulate. See, the birthright, what it meant, the birthright was the, the right of the eldest born uh, for a double portion of inheritance uh, when the father passed away. So the eldest gets twice as much as everybody else. That's the birthright. And he takes the advantage of his, of his brother, takes the opportunity. From the very birth, he's been grasping, trying to be the first. And he takes this opportunity to use his, his brother's distress, use his brother's, perhaps, um, ambivalence, and takes his birthright. Now, these kids kind of lived up to their name. And, and 
we don't usually name our babies uh, after the traits we want for them or the traits we think they are. But we, in our own way, are, are looking to make a name for ourselves. I would hedge my bets to say that looking around this room, we, we want to be loved, we want to be thought of as successful, uh, we want to be thought of as perhaps beautiful, we want to be thought of as, as valued. We kind of want to strive and, and have people think well of us. We almost want to like, uh, make an image for ourselves and then say to the world, hey everybody come see how good I look. And to us, I think often our reputation matters more to us than our character. Often we try and, we try and manufacture a name for ourselves, an identity, an image, a newsfeed, rather than work on the character that's inside. So, Esau, at his very beginning, he sells his brother Jacob his birthright of double blessing, a double um, inheritance. And then we pick up in Genesis 27 uh, their story a little bit more. When it comes time for the father to, to give his blessing, which is a slightly different thing than birthright, we see their, their character and their nature come out again. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah, his wife, was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me, and I shall see to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them, and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth parts of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father, here I am. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God has granted me success. Isn't it like great that he uses God in his lie? Then Isaac said to Jacob, 
Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, and so he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate, and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, Pretty sure that this inspired Little Red Riding Hood, but anyway. See the smell of my son, as it is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May the God give you of the dew of the earth and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. And you watch this play out. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Uh Uh-oh. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is it not right that he is named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him... Lord over you and all his brothers I have given him for servants and with grain and wine I have sustained him what then can I do for you my son so he stole his brother's birthright he stole his brother's blessing and this blessing was significant because the birthright was a double portion of the inheritance this particular blessing was basically saying you are next in line to lead the family So Isaac's realized he's he's old, he can't see properly, and he's handing over control of the family. And uh, while that might be significant, if you're like, perhaps, you know, you're you're a mafia don or something and you've got a family to control, this is like upping the ante even more. He's basically handing over control of a small nation. This family uh, is is the, uh, the, the seed of Abraham. This family is expanding. This family is the family to which God has promised to make them a nation. And he's coming in and he's stolen the rights to that. He has to run because he's a mama's boy and his big brother, rugged hunter, is coming after him. So he's out of there. He escapes. And we can kind of um, live our life a little bit the same as Jacob. It's easy to kind of look at him and be like, man, what a, what a hill grasper. What a, 
What a schemer. What a supplanter. Look at him trying to, to scrape and scramble and, and make his, his, himself great over his brother, make his name great. I want to put it to you and I'll pick this up later. We, maybe we shouldn't get too down on him too soon because I'm going to show us how we are all the same. But he has to run and he, he falls asleep. And God kind of comes to him in a dream. And if you were Jacob at this point, from birth called the hill grasper, the supplanter, and you've just you've stolen your brother's birthright, you've stolen your brother's blessing, and God comes to you, what would you expect God to be saying to you? Now, you wicked man, you lied, you stole, you're evil. Well, that's not where God goes with it, surprisingly. God actually uh, uses him. God works through his sin. In fact, he gives him uh, a vision of, of Jesus. Jacob, Jacob dreams a dream that is uh, referred to as, as Jacob's ladder. He sees uh, angels descending up and down this ladder to and from earth, from heaven. God uses Jacob in his sin to accomplish his purposes and in fact this should perhaps fill us with joy because um, God actually delights and we see this in scripture time and time again in using those who have failed miserably because there's something about the God's nature and character and I hope this fills you with great joy and if it doesn't it means that you don't realise how wretched you are because you're wretched just like me um, you're, you're a miserable sinner like me and the awesome thing is that, that God magnifies himself, makes much of himself, glorifies himself, not in our awesomeness, but in how he works awesomely through broken people. So I want to just kind of get this a little bit straight as we continue on. Uh, this is not a story primarily about Jacob. And this is not a story about Esau. And this is not a story about Isaac. And this is also not even really a story about the nation of Israel, but it's a story about God. Jesus uh, is uh, in, the, in um, John 1, verse 51, in the, in the opening of the Gospel of John, they're, they're talking about Jesus. And he, and he said to him, this is from uh, John 1, verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so we learn from the Gospel of John that this vision that Jacob had is actually of Jesus. This Jacob's ladder was a, a pre-gospel showing how Jesus would be the bridge between heaven and earth. And so this is actually a story about God. Not a story about Jacob. It's a story, it's his story and, and by grace you and I and others have been given a role to play in God's story. So he has this dream uh, and then from there he goes on out uh, into another country uh, and he ends up having some interactions with a, a man named Laban and his family and he spends, this kind of, this period of time spans roughly the next 20 years so he's kind of run away from his brother over the next 20 years um, basically if you want to summarise it, it's like uh, in-law issues and women trouble it's pretty much what goes on but um, he runs away, he ends up uh, 
kind of coming into the service of a man named Laban. Uh, he kind of falls in love with his daughter. And he says, you know what, I'm so in love with her. I will work for you for the next seven years and you let me marry your daughter. So he works for this man for seven years uh, and then the, the wedding comes and the, the kind of way they did the wedding, the bride was very veiled, very kind of disguised until it's all a bit kind of too late. Uh, and Laban tricks him and he ends up actually giving him his other daughter who he actually didn't want to marry. So he's, he's a bit ticked. But he says, you know what, I'll work for you another seven years and then let me marry the other daughter also. So he works for Laban another seven years and then he has his two wives, Leah and Rachel. And then, in fact, kind of Jacob uh, goes to work for him some more. Uh, He's a shepherd, he has sheep and he makes a deal with his father-in-law and he says, "Um, all the sheep that have kind of like as payment for my work, uh, all the sheep that have blemishes, all the, all the ugly sheep, the sheep that have like hickety-pickety spots and all the ones that aren't quite perfect, I'll have those in payment for looking after all the sheep. And so he kind of goes to work shepherding all the sheep and he plays a trick, he, he feeds the sheep particular things and particular, um, puts around them particular plants that actually makes them have more spots and so he ends up stealing most of, over the years, his father-in-law's flock. He is, again, the supplanter, the grasper, the trickster, His, uh, Laban's other sons, his other sons kind of know what's going on and they're pretty ticked because he's stealing their inheritance now. He's kind of making a thing of it, right? And so uh, God um, comes and speaks to him and tells him it's time to go home. And so he is packing up to go home and he, he's uh, packed up his wives, he's packed up his flock, he's packed up his, his children, multiple children, and they're heading off back home to his homeland where they came from and uh, he hears that his brother Esau has heard that he's coming home and his brother Esau has sent a welcoming party 400 men (laughs) it's not a party that's an army his brother Esau is coming with an army to meet him he's like that was 20 years ago but he's still pissed right he's stolen everything from him and so what he does is he, he's, he's a schemer. He's a trickster. He's the kind of guy who supplants. He's the heel grabber. And so he, he comes up with a plan. He breaks his, his possessions and his wealth and his, his wives and his kids. He breaks them up into family groups and, to, and, and sends a few here and a few there and spreads them out. You know, if that lot gets attacked, at least they'll still have this lot. Uh, he keeps his favorite wife and kids with him a bit, little bit closer, um, kind of protects them a little bit more, and he breaks it off into groups. And then what he does is he sends his brother gifts. He, he sends him clothes, he sends him sheep, he sends him his wealth. Uh, he, in fact, sends him so much wealth, it's almost like he's trying to share back his blessing with his brother to try and win his favour and appease him. And he's sending all these things across the river that is the border between uh, where he is and where he's going. And he's sending these things back in uh, and he, he gets to the point where he sent so much back in, it's just him. He's by himself and his brother's still coming with 400 men. He's by himself. He's by the river. And someone comes to visit him and wrestles with him. I believe that person is Jesus. And we can get into the theology behind that sometime. I haven't inserted it here. A great thing to get into. Um, but we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 32. 
This is Jacob. The same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children and he crossed the ford of Jacob, Jabok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Oh, okay. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, by this point realising who he was, I mean he's touched his hip and it shriveled. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? Knowing full well what this man's name was. And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? Jacob knew who he was. And there he blessed him. For Jacob, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. You can kind of see an image of this or how this might have played out. He sent across his, his wife, he sent across his kids, he sent across all his possessions. He's there alone. He's kind of watching his wife and his kids disappear across across the stream, across the creek, into, into the horizon. And, and the sun is setting. And as the sun is setting, as it's dusk, as you can barely see, there's a figure approaching him back off the horizon. And that figure is getting closer. And that figure is getting closer. And you can imagine Jacob is there and he is frightened. He knows that his brother Esau is coming to get him with 400 men. He knows that he cannot do this. He knows that he has not been able to win his favour. He knows that his brother is mad and he knows that he needs something to happen. And this man approaches and weirdly starts to wrestle him. Now wrestling was actually a common martial art even of the day at the time. That was one of the things, wrestling. People knew how to wrestle. And he wrestles him all night. And I, I can imagine how this plays out. Like this afternoon, uh, in, in kind of mentally preparing for this uh, and just kind of playing with my son, I wrestled, uh, I was wrestling with my one-and-a-half-year-old on the floor. And I imagine that um, this is probably a little bit similar to how this could have been, right? At the times, he thought he was winning. <laughs> but I was just playing with him. And so it kind of gets to daybreak. And God wrestling with him you know, knows that if the sun comes up, he doesn't want him to be seen. He won't let him go. He wounds him in the hip. His hip shrivels. And yet he's still holding on. 
So you can imagine, Jacob, like, his hip is broken, and he's still wrestling, and you can imagine, well, if your hip's broken and you're wrestling, how's that going to work? Because he can't really be sitting on him with his knee anymore. He can't really be pinning him down. He doesn't have the strength for that anymore. So you can imagine, by this time, his hip is shriveled, and he's realized um, his desperation, and he's holding on. And so you can imagine that perhaps even he's not kneeling on him, he's actually likely grasping his heel, stopping him getting away. You know, he's gone from wrestling with God to to holding on, not letting him get away. And he asks him, what is your name? And in a culture where your name means a lot more about you, he's almost asking, who are you? says I'm, I'm the grasper and it's not just like a cool wrestling name I'm the grasper like he's this is identity he said no you shall now be called Israel for you have wrestled with God and with man and you have prevailed now, we're going to get into what it means to prevail against God in this context because I don't think that God was beat in the sense that we think of being beat but your name shall now be Israel You have lived your whole life another way, with another identity. No more, now you live this way, with a new identity, because you have met me. So this this sentence, you have prevailed with God, he says, says, you you shall now be called Israel because you have prevailed with with God. Um, This can't mean that he mastered him, because with a broken hip and begging him not to go... I don't think that's the same kind of prevailing that Jacob is used to. All of his life, Jacob has struggled, has schemed, and he's won. All of his life, he's, been, he's outmaneuvered, he's out-strategied, he's checkmated. All of his life, he's been struggling, and he's prevailed, and he's won. And so, what is this prevailing? And I... Again, we'll say, clearly he hasn't mastered because he's there with a broken hip and begging him not to go. You don't prevail with God the same way that you prevail with others. Jacob doesn't prevail with God by deceiving him. He doesn't prevail with God by overpowering him. You prevail by coming in submission and humble dependence. I will not let you go until you bless me. He knows that unless he gets this blessing, he's done. This is, he sent away his servants. He sent away his family. He sent away his children. He sent away his possessions. He's got nothing there left. He sent it all over to his brother to, to win affection all, all away to protect it. He knows in this moment that there are 400 men and his brother coming for him. And he realizes that he's met God in this moment. And he's no longer grasping for control. He's grasping because he knows that he needs blessing. I will not let you go until you bless me because you have the blessing. And that's what happens. 
It pleases God for Jacob to acknowledge that he needs God to do what he can't do. In fact, I think this whole episode is is so that Jacob will know. He needs to learn what it means to know that God will rule and Jacob will not rule. Jacob will not rule. will not be in control. God will rule. And so uh, we hear, recorded in this account, um, Jesus changes his name. And literally the phrase uh, in Hebrew is, is, it will no longer be said of you, is how he changes his name. So it has been said of you, heel grasper, supplanter. So it will no longer be said of you that. Now, that doesn't mean that actually no human retold these stories about what he used to be like. And no human, in fact, ever accused him of being the supplanter. So what did it mean for it to no longer be said of him? It meant that, that all that God said about him mattered. This encounter that we have, this wrestle was God's grace to Jacob. His struggle was a means of grace. God was teaching him through this moment that he was to no longer rely on his own cunning, his own strength, and his own trickery. He was to rely on God. God wanted Jacob to stop striving in his own strength for the things that he wanted and to instead, instead put his hands on God for his blessing. And it's not like God was going to pour out this blessing and say, all of a sudden you have an amazing life because he, like permanently wounds him and for the rest of his life he walks with a limp. I want to challenge all of us to consider that, that we can actually, like Jacob, strive and fight for things in, of our own accord or we can instead choose to put our hands on Jesus for our blessings regardless of whether he chooses to give us a limp for the rest of our life or not. I want to put it to you that there are things in your life that you think will make you happy. And as you think about what makes you happy, I mean, who knows that Christmas is coming, right? For, for kids, it could be a particular Christmas present. You might think, if I just get this toy, this thing that will make me happy, if I get this uh, blessing, this, this the gift that will make me happy, and we can strive to get it. Or perhaps um, for, for you know, a little bit older people, older Christians, it might be a particular relationship or a particular job, particular uh, career advancement, a house in a particular neighbourhood. If I could lay my hands on this, I would be happy. If I could lay my hands on him, or if he would lay his hands on me, I would be happy. If I could just get that girl to notice me, I'd be happy. We seek these things because we want to feel safe and we want to feel happy. And so, like Jacob, we scheme about how we might get them. We don't trust God to bless us in the way which he wants to bless us. And so we ourselves scheme about how we can get what we want. we can, in fact, trust God and surrender ourselves and let him determine how to bless us. What I want to put to you now, 
really carefully, I don't want to kind of make the mistake that so many of us make. And, and, and this doesn't mean that, it, what I'm saying tonight, it does not mean that it's actually a sin to want stuff or to strive for stuff. Uh, too many, and um, myself included, in particular, uh, young Christian men, I think don't strive enough. A little bit too lazy. A little bit kind of let go and let God as an excuse to kind of sit on the couch and get up occasionally for Pokemon Go. So this isn't an excuse to, to kind of say, you know what, I'm trusting God for my blessing, so I'm going to sit here and let my mum bring me my Cocoa Pops. Young men, young women, in fact all of us, but I'm particularly when I haven't got the young men, probably just because I, I am one, so you haven't got me here too. Like get up and, and get going and you can try some stuff. Don't use like striving and oh, I'm just letting God do it as an excuse. That's not the kind of striving we're talking about. God calls you to work hard. We're talking about the kind of striving that is, I'm going to make something of myself for my glory, for my name, selfishly not serving the kingdom, not for God's glory, not for his name. And so Jacob has been making a name for himself all his life. He's been striving for his blessing all his life. When God changes changes Jacob's name to Israel, he's signaling that he's a new person. He has a new identity. And I think God wounds him and, and makes him limp because he needs that daily reminder to keep relying on God for his blessing. We have a choice about forging our own identity and grasping our own blessing aside from the will of the Lord. I want to challenge you and ask you, how will you get the promises of God? Will you demand comfort? Will you demand easy things in life and will you demand comfort? Or will you allow God to be your comfort regardless of your life circumstances? Will you seek riches now and wealth now or will you seek treasure in heaven? Will you seek ease or will you seek the hard work that will glorify God? Will you allow God's blessing to come to you his way or make it come to you your way? I imagine that perhaps going into this situation, I think Jacob was scared, but I also think he maybe had a little bit of Jacob's swagger, knowing that he'd gotten out of situations like this before. He'd schemed his way out of things like this before. But Israel's ultimate victory would not come by the usual ways that nations gain power. but through the power of God's divine blessing. Our self-sufficiency, I want to put it to you, is incompatible with the way God works in all ages of history. It is faith alone through which we overcome. We can try and make something of ourselves beyond God's plan. 
We can try and strive for things in our own strength. But the, the true freedom and blessing will only be found through God's blessing. And it was in seeing Jesus face to face that transformed Jacob. And it's seeing Jesus that transforms us. Jacob said, I have seen God face to face and yet I've been preserved. And uh, 1 John 3 verses 1 to 2 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears we shall be like him. Why shall we be like him? Because we shall see him as he is. It's in seeing Jesus that we are transformed to be like Jesus. In fact, Corinthians says that um, seeing the glory of God will be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. It's in seeing Jesus, seeing who he is, that we will be transformed. Uh, Romans 8 verses 1 to 8 says this, There is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to the God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's a lot here to unpack, but, but that's what happened when Jacob met Jesus, is that he saw Jesus for who he was. And it transformed who he was. And when we meet Jesus, that's what happens to us too. All through his life, Jesus, uh, Jacob had had the words, heel grasper, literally spoken to him every time someone wanted his attention. Supplanter. Jesus came to him and he gave him a new identity, a new name. I want to ask you, whose, whose words about you matter the most? Whose opinion about you matters the most? Whose definition of you matters? What do you say about yourself, about you? Does the identity that either you have painted for yourself or the one that others have given you, does it align with what God says about you? As a Christian, um, compliments don't feed us and, and criticism does not stunt us. We are instead daily sustained by the word of God and what he says about us. I want to put forward to you this idea, uh, and that's this, that, that God does not actually have an opinion about you. He instead holds the truth about you. 
God's thoughts about you are not just one opinion in a sea of many. His thoughts about you are the reality of who you are. Others' opinions about you are opinions. God's thoughts about you are reality. When Jacob met Jesus, it wasn't that everybody else's opinion of him changed. God gave him a new nature, a new identity. He found his prosperity, his worth, his identity, not in his old own name, not in his ability to supplant, to be tricky, but instead in humble submission to Jesus and entrusting him for his blessing. In his wrestle with Jesus, he learned his utter dependence on Jesus for blessing. And in fact, it um, paid off. We read in the next chapter, as you might explore in your DG, or or maybe not, but you might explore it yourself this week even, um, he goes to meet his brother, and God has worked a miracle. His brother's heart has changed. He comes to meet his brother, and as he goes, he, he bows down like every few steps, like low to the ground. And Esau instead runs to him and embraces him and welcomes him back into the family. His brother, who'd been coming with an army, now comes with cuddles. And that was only by the work of God, as Jacob humbly submitted himself and allowed God to change the situation. Jacob had been trying to to make a blessing for himself. He instead humbled himself and held on to Jesus and allowed him to be in control. In in closing, I want to ask us to consider some thoughts. Um, What does your current behaviour communicate about who you think you are? Whose approval are you after as you make a name for yourself? Whose identity are you living out of? Are you struggling to live out of God's identity of you? Do you listen to your opinion about yourself, others' opinion about you, or God's truth of who you are in Jesus? When Jacob met Jesus, he humbled himself. God sometimes sends suffering in our life to humble us. He learned his utter dependence on Jesus. He learned that his identity could only be found in Christ and only God could define him. God gave him a new name, a new mission, a new purpose, a new identity. In Jesus, God likewise changes your identity, changes the things said about you, changes your purpose, your mission, your identity, your life, your purpose. If you don't know Jesus, I would encourage you to know Jesus. You can simply ask him, pray to him, just talk to him. Ask him to reveal himself to you or 
uh, even come and talk to one of our discipleship group leaders or myself about how can I know Jesus. His opinion of you is what matters because it's not just an opinion, it's the truth. And if you know Jesus, just like God wounded Jacob so he would have a daily reminder, in the same way we actually need daily reminders to live out of who Jesus says we are and new identity in him, we need to be reminded of it every day. So I want to encourage you to, to write this story on your hearts, to discuss it in your discipleship group, to, to pray through it this week and ask God to daily remind you, who do you say that I am? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, in your love you uh, send your son to us, uh, that he came humbly, um, that he holds the truth about us. Uh, we thank you that although we do fall short, we are sinful being found in him, um, we are acceptable and right to you. Uh, we want to pray that you would help us not to construct for ourselves our own blessing, our own identity, our own sense of self, but you would instead allow us to humbly submit ourselves to you, to grasp onto you alone for our identity and our blessing. And we thank you that you are so very good to us. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.